She became a tax manager at PwC at 24. Yes, you heard that right. Charlie Friend, this episode's guest, became a tax manager at 24 at PwC. And in the following four years or so, which brings us to the present, she is vice president within JP Morgan's in-house corporation tax team. How has she achieved all this so young? She took control of her career, which is the focus of this episode. Why should take control and how to do it? You're listening to episode 76 of the Tax Professionals podcast. Welcome to the Tax Professionals podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping you improve your tax career. Here's your host, Jack Bonehill. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode. If you've been a listener for some time, you may know that I was shortlisted for Taxation's Rising Star at the Tollis Taxation Awards this year. And as I'm recording this, I found out last week that I won the award, which I'm just super happy about. Thank you to all of you for listening to the podcast, as without the podcast, you and other listeners, I don't think I'd have stood a chance. And thank you to all of you who've taken a chance on me with my courses that have been made purely for those who work in tax. All of this is really helping me to help tax professionals to progress, develop and improve their tax careers, improving the overall skill of the profession and therefore hopefully removing the stereotype that tax is boring. Anyway, I'm hoping that winning the award will help to spread the word about the podcast and my courses so that I can continue to help tax people bit by bit. On to this episode. This episode is all about how to take control of your tax career so that you can take it to where you want, wherever that is. That may be towards becoming a partner, head of tax, or a job that has an excellent work-life balance with work that you enjoy. It's completely up to you, but it starts with taking control. And joining me in this episode is Charlie Friend, who has done such a good job of taking control of her career, and I respect how she has done it. She became CTA qualified at 21, a tax manager at PwC at 24, and now she's Vice President at JP Morgan's in-house corporation tax team. All of this before she is 30. In the episode, we have a discussion around why it's important to take control of your career, how you can do it, along with related advice, tips, information, and stories from our experiences, centering around taking control of your career and getting you to where you want to be with it. Before speaking to Charlie for this episode, I didn't realise how similar our approaches have been. I became senior manager when I was 27, which is something I'm quite proud of, but this isn't down to me being smart, unique, or better than other people. I would say it's down to me realising early on that I was responsible for my own career, and so I took control of it to take it to where I wanted to go, and I continue to do that to this day. Charlie has done and continues to do the same. I think what this shows is that it's mainly down to mindset and approach. I would add, though, to be fair, that neither of us have any children or any other family situations which would, no doubt, make it more difficult. We both had the time and mental capacity to think about these things. Saying that, though, you will still be able to take control of your career and achieve what you want in other situations. It will probably just mean that it's a bit more tricky to do so. For rough timings for each section of this episode, head on over to the details section within the episode within your podcast player of choice, or head on over to thetaxprofessionalspodcast.com forward slash ttpp76, which are the show notes for this episode. That link, the link for the show notes, is the only link you need to remember for this episode, thetaxprofessionalspodcast.com forward slash ttpp76, as all of the links mentioned throughout this episode are included in there. I'm a believer that we are responsible for our own tax career progression and development, but that we should have the resources available to us to do this. I look for gaps in these resources so that I can fill those gaps, and I'm currently working on my next masterclass for tax professionals, the Tax Advice Masterclass, which is being designed to teach you and other tax professionals how to provide commercial, valuable, and actionable tax advice that clients want, turning you into a desirable advisor. I'm going to be delivering the first one of these in July this year, for those of you who are interested, and you can enrol now by heading on over to thetaxprofessionalspodcast.com forward slash masterclasses. And the next tax research masterclass I'll be doing is in September of this year, 
You can also enroll for this now too in the link just mentioned, the taxprofessionalspodcast.com forward slash masterclasses. If, like me, you're interested in knowing what you're worth in terms of salary, then get in touch with James from the tax recruitment company to benchmark what you're currently on. From his interaction with many different businesses and tax professionals, he has current knowledge of salary rates, based on experience and specialism. Speaking with James could help you to negotiate a pay rise or determine it's time to find a new role. Contact details for James can be found in the show notes for this episode at thetaxprofessionalspodcast.com forward slash ttpp76 or you can book a chat with him by heading on over to thetaxprofessionalspodcast.com forward slash salary chat. So get in touch with James to benchmark your salary or to discuss potentially available roles, particularly if you're working in corporation tax as he's currently recruiting for many roles in this area. Without further ado, let's get to the episode. Could you just start off by telling us a bit about you and your tax career to date? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it feels like my tax career has been a long one. So it's it's 10 years in this year. Um, so it's been quite a journey for me. But I started as a school leaver and did a, a tax apprenticeship with a mid-sized firm in London. Um, it was very much I fell into tax. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, but I was looking at different options other than going to university. And tax just seemed like something that I might be good at and might be interesting. Um, And I remember applying and there was the option between a corporate tax apprenticeship or an income tax or personal tax, as they call it. And uh, I just thought that corporate tax sounded more up my street. So I opted for that purely on the basis of not knowing very much about either. But I'm glad I did. Um, I went and found out and they basically said, you know, this is how you do tax qualifications it's the ATT CTA it's a new thing that we're trying and we haven't had an apprentice before but that's sort of the route we want you to take um there's a bit of flexibility as to how you do that but um you know if you want to do it really fast and get them out the way that's up to you if you want to sort of take your time do them over a number of years that's that's also fine um because I was just fresh out of A levels I was really keen to sort of ride on the back of my motivation for studying and continued with that um so I managed to do both the ATT and CTA by the time I was 21 and studying as I'm sure you'll know with a full-time job is just completely ridiculous it's really difficult um so that also motivated me to be like right let's just get this out of the way um and then I was doing predominantly sort of compliance based stuff which I think is quite normal when you first start training in tax um and I was kind of doing all sorts of different things that fall under the umbrella of of corporate tax from, you know, corporate tax returns, CT61s, capital allowances. Um, but then I started getting a bit frustrated once I qualified that I weren't doing the meteor sort of more advisory pieces. Um, so, you know, I fed that back and there was just kind of no movement there. So I thought right after six months, I'm going to start looking to to make the move. And I was keen to go to the big four because I'd met quite a few people in tax who were trained there. And I thought, where else to get the advisory work? You know, the PwC is where I ended up going to. And I I joined the M&A tax team and I definitely got all of the advisory work from that. It was definitely a massive change of pace, um, but it gave me the challenge that I was that was after to sort of step up after doing the CTA. Um, And then I my sort of next step, I was like, right, I want to get to manager and then really sit down and think about what do I want to do with my career from here? And. I just knew that I didn't want to be a partner in in practice. That was just something I could never envisage for myself. So I just thought, you know what? I really wanted to go in-house ever since I started, but I was waiting for the right time. And I thought manager level is probably a good time to do that. So I just kept, you know, learning as much as I could at PwC and thought, right, I'm going to wait for the best in-house role to come up. And at that point, 
I will jump ship and, you know, make the first move in house, which at the time I was like, it has to be the right thing. You know, it's really crucial. It could mess up my whole career if I don't pick the right uh, path. Um, so it was quite overwhelming because obviously you think like, where do you go in house? What's a good place to go? It's very different in terms of, you know, there's no structure like practice has with progression. You know, you're going to be a manager, then a senior manager and so on and so forth. So what I did is I just focused on the industry that I most enjoyed working in when it came to tax. And that was kind of fashion and retail. Um, so when a role at Selfridges came up to be their corporate tax manager, I was like, this is it. Um, it took quite a few months of just sort of waiting for the right role to come up. I didn't want to move to something that I wasn't quite set on. Um, and so I thought that was just like the perfect role for me because it had the balance of the compliance stuff and the advisory, you know, work that I had done. Um, and then COVID hit. So it was very much head down in the tax world. As I'm sure you had the same thing. It was just insane. The amount of stuff that was going on, particularly for retail businesses and, and you know, all types of businesses, but tax was really busy. So it was very much just learning all of the things that came out of that. Um, and then I thought, right, it's a good time to move. And so I, I I moved again and I basically took on a role at Kering and I was just in charge of all the UK taxes. So it was another massive step up for me because everything was on my shoulders from a UK perspective. I didn't have anyone above me to to sort of help with that. And I basically was told that I would build a team and, you know, take that there on. But unfortunately, that didn't sort of work out. So now come in full circle, I am moved role and I'm now... Um, at JP Morgan as a vice president and I'm working in their corporate tax team um learning everything there is to learn about financial services taxes and it is no walk in the park it's definitely giving me a challenge that is really stretching me and I think that throughout my tax career that's always one thing that I've just strived for is just making sure that I'm always progressing whether that be you know moving up the ranks or actually just learning more about tax because it's so vast so yeah it is, yeah. So you've done quite a lot, actually, in the space of 10 years. I mean, so you were CTA qualified by 21, which is, I just came out of uni then. So the apprenticeship <laughs> route definitely helped you get there quicker, didn't it? I mean, did you feel like actually being younger and CTA qualified hindered you to someone who was, say, 24 and just become CTA qualified just because of the age? Or did you feel it didn't really matter? No, and I think that's a very good point, actually. I don't think it did because I think it made for interesting conversation at interviews and, and people that I worked with when it came to progression and talking about that sort of thing because the way that I sold it was just because I don't have a degree or I didn't go to university, I've got more work experience, you know, three extra years. So I do feel that sometimes, you know, the age thing did come up, but, it, you know, when you when I look back at my career, I never felt that I didn't get opportunities because of it. So it's you know, and I think that's one thing that's really positive about the tax world is that people are really open-minded and they look at your capabilities and what you've done as opposed to, you know, your age or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, particularly if you're in the right firm anyway, I suppose, and that would definitely happen. Yeah, yeah. So obviously today the main thing we want to talk about is almost like how to take control of your career because you've obviously done that in the 10 years that you've worked in tax because you progressed to manager quite quickly you've become fairly senior in like the in-house roles as well I suppose I've been in tax for eight years become senior manager so I suppose we've both got that experience of almost progressing quicker than maybe what the norm is so I'm hoping that we've both got some kind of tips and ideas that we can share with people to help other people do the same as well because I don't think it's anything special that we probably do per se we just might have a different mindset or might 
you know, work on the areas that are more important maybe and um, will help get you progressed rather than spending, I don't know, in pointless areas, but we can just have a, a general chat around that then. So, you know, in, in your view, at least, Charlie, then why do you think it is that people should take control of their career? Because particularly with that story you started off with there, like about waiting for the right role, you were clearly doing that right. You knew you wanted to move, you knew you had an idea of what you wanted to do, so you waited and stuff. But why do you think people should take control of their career? Well, I think it ultimately boils down to one thing, which is you, whilst your employer, you know, or a company that you're working for should have your best interests in mind. At the end of the day, it's your career with your name attached to it. So if you want it to go a certain way or you want to do certain things, you should be the one to be driving that. So, you know, as much as that might be a cliche answer, I, I really do believe that, you know, whilst it's not completely within your control, you you do have a say over where things go. Um, so, I mean, I would come across people all the time that would complain about, you know, not getting the work that they wanted or the projects that they wanted to do. Um, and my thing to them is, well, if you don't ask, you don't get, even if you get told no, at least you'll never look back and think, oh, you know, if, what if I asked, like, what would they have said? And I think that I just became a lot more comfortable earlier on just asking things because the worst that they can say is no or not right now or whatever it is. And you might surprise yourself and actually end up with things that you know you want you actually want to do um and similarly I saw people that were passed up for promotion just simply because they thought that their work spoke for itself which you know it definitely did but there were some people in the room who were just talking loud more louder about louder about themselves and sold themselves in the right way and they got promoted and so it's it's you know it's one of those things that I think that you do need to advocate for yourself which can be really a difficult skill because most of the time we're taught to be humble and you know not not you know don't want to be a bragger or anything like that but equally you do need to stand up and say hey I'm actually really good at what I do so what about me yeah yeah no agree agree completely I suppose the thing is uh... People might think it's bad me saying this, but in a way, like your career is a bit of a game in a way and you've got to play Absolutely. it right. Mm. So, you know, if you know that you're good at something and you know that there's a decision maker that needs to almost have evidence that you can do something, then you need to evidence it to them, right, in a way. So you almost like yeah. to figure out exactly what it is you need to do and then go and do it, Um, to, I suppose, to get to where, to where you want to. I suppose some other things as well is like if you don't take control of your own career, then you can just end up going in the direction that someone else takes you in and then you might end up somewhere unhappy. So I suppose, like, for example, with your in-house scenario, when you first moved, you could have moved to probably numerous in-house roles, right, but you waited for retail. And if you'd have gone to, say, I don't know, construction or IT, you might have ended up there in an in-house role but then just been miserable and hated it for years, right? So you yeah. you yourself taking control of it and not letting, say, a recruiter tempt you into another role or something, such a good point about recruiters yeah and and you know I do want to talk about them later because they can be a useful tool but absolutely agree you 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 kind of have to be a little bit stern as well and saying like no 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 that's not what I want to be doing um but you know but also being open to trying different things so it's quite a hard um line to sort of fat find in terms of where you fit but I think that's why it's bit you know you really should spend the time sort of sitting down and with yourself and being like what is it that I actually want from my career and how do I get there and once you break that down into steps it should become a bit clearer and a bit easier which hopefully we can help people with yeah yeah sure and if, the thing is if you know where you want to go as well and you're taking try to get in there you're going to get there faster than you otherwise would wouldn't you right yeah Exactly. Yeah. There's this one person I know, I won't say names or even give any information away so no one can figure out who it is, but <laughs> they started off in a big four 
decided they didn't really like it and they wanted to move out of tax, but then ended up getting talked into staying in tax by the recruiter and then moved to another role in tax. They've ended up staying in tax now, but for like the first two years that they were working, um, at their, their new job that the recruiter put them in, they kept saying, like, oh, I'm not sure I want to do this. Like, I might want to be just a general accountant instead because I, I think I'll enjoy that more. And now they've just ended up being almost felt like they're stuck in that role because they've got children and, you know, they feel like they've got to put enough money on the uh, enough food on the table type thing. And they've, in a way, they've got themselves stuck because they got tempted by someone else and didn't listen to, I suppose, their, their own guts in a way. Yeah. And it, I mean, that's a really sad story when you think about it, because th- th- there is the element of your personal life does overlay. Like we get so, you know, hyper focused on our careers, but actually you do have to consider other things that are going on. Um, and and money, you know, is, is why we work at the end of the day. And so, yeah, when you're when you're at that point in your life where you don't have the flexibility and freedom, let, let's say, to, you know, do something else, let, you know, if you wanted to, it is really sad that they, you know, then feel stuck, which is why. I, you know, we both think it's so important that you really do take charge and and take control over what it is you you really want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. Um, I will say, by the way, this person's completely fine there. You know, they're kind of oh, good. <laughs> they're kind of accepted that you know they like the role that they're in and stuff, but it's it's probably not what they would have done if they would have thought about it like yeah more yeah. in the past anyway. But I suppose the learning from that is yeah, don't don't let others tell you what they think you should be doing. Yeah, particularly recruiters, you know, think about it yourself. I suppose if you don't think about what you want before you start speaking to other people, you're going to end up being swayed by their comments and suggestions and stuff. So before you even start getting others' opinion, you should probably think about what you want, whether it's, you know, you want to become a partner, whether you want just a life where, you know, you're going to have a good work-life balance or whether you just want advisory work, whatever it is, think about what it is that you want. Then you can find a job that does that. And once I think, once you've, almost decided yourself what you want you will you're less likely to be swayed by someone else when they're trying to convince you to do something different completely agree absolutely so kind of how do you suggest that people particularly in tax take control of their career then what advice do you have around that so I'm just trying to sort of reflect on what I found helpful with myself when I was sort of going through job changes and and you know, changes in responsibilities. And I think one of the main thing is attending as much training that's on offer. Now, it does depend, obviously, firm to firm and company to company, but there's so many resources out there for training in areas that perhaps you find are your weaker you know, part of tax, let's say. And for me, it was always tax accounting because I, I, I didn't train in audit initially. I was just really not bad at it, but I just didn't feel as confident and as strong. And I always knew that it was something that I just needed to know how to do, particularly if I did want to go in-house at, at one point. So I think the leveraging the, the training that's available to you, which, um, you know, it's one of those things you put it off because you're like, I don't have the time. I've got, you know, if you're studying and then you've also got your know, day-to-day job, it's one of those things that, you know, is likely to fall to the bottom of the list. But I would always just go to my employer and say, hey, I know you've got a budget for training. I found this course, it's one day or half a day or whatever it is. And I think it'd be really useful for me. And, you know, that does two things. One, they like that you're being proactive and you're coming to them with a suggestion. Um, and, and two, obviously you get something out of it and you can share that learning with your team, which, you know, is useful for everyone. So I think that that's one good way of, of progressing yourself in terms of, you know, expanding your skill set, which you can then use if you're interviewing other roles, et cetera. Um, but also demonstrating to your current employer if you're looking to move up the ranks that you're serious and you're, you know, taking steps to progress yourself without being told by people, you know, you should do X, Y, Z. 
on the back of that though I think asking for feedback regularly and I know that it's it's the last thing anyone wants to do it makes us all really uncomfortable and all of that good stuff but it means that you get ahead of the curve as to okay what do I need to improve on if I want to get promoted next year what is it that I need to be doing what is it that my colleagues are identifying that I need to improve upon um and again it's 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 not it's not the thing that we always want to be doing, which I think is why it falls down to the bottom of our list. But I do think it's valuable. And I'm not saying you need to be doing it every week, you know, and hounding people and <laughs> having one of those conversations, you know, all the time. But it's it's just good to check in and just see what what they what they have to say. Um, and yeah, I just think that's definitely a way to to self-improve and then utilize that to to help you. Yeah. I don't know if I told you this before, but there's two podcast episodes I've done on feedback. And they're like some of the least listened to episodes that I've done. Because <laughs> I'm on your side, by the way. Feedback, I think, is like the most valuable development tool because obviously it's hard to see your own flaws and where you might be slacking. And you're getting advice from people who have been there already most of the time. Why wouldn't you want to take that advice from them in a way? it's I just think it saves so much time of, of you having to try and figure it out for yourself. Yeah, but exactly. It's just this massive taboo about it. People don't like giving it and people don't like asking for it either. I just think it's such a massive shame. Yeah, and I think it's a skill that is lacking in a lot of people and, you know, both senior and, and junior. But I think it's about how you give the feedback. Obviously, there are people who do not do it in a nice way or a constructive way, and I think that's where there's an issue. And I think that's probably what drives that feeling of being uncomfortable. But I completely agree. I think that because I've asked for feedback more regularly than my peers, I can more quickly, you know, see the gaps of what I'm perhaps not performing as well as I thought. Likewise, I've also got feedback in my time that I didn't agree with or I asked further questions on, which is also absolutely fine. If you think that there's feedback that perhaps isn't warranted or there's not, you know, sufficient evidence for that. Again, I think that it's, it's on it's on you to, to to really dig in. And sometimes once you've sort of asked a follow-up question to it, most people would say, actually, you know, that's kind of not what I meant. This is what I meant. And it becomes a bit clearer. So it's it's definitely not the first thing people on that. They want to hear that that's what they should be doing. But I really do advocate for for feedback. Yeah, same. I think it's, um, people probably find it hard because you're almost like opening yourself up to be vulnerable and for people to criticize you, right? Mm-hmm. But you've almost got to get past that and just think what the end goal is. And if your goal is to get better, then you need to take an ego hit in a way and just, you know, be humble about it, listen to it. And you don't have to, you don't have to implement every piece of feedback, right? But I think if if you listen to it, understand it, then you can decide whether you think it's right or not. You know, there's definitely feedback I've received that people give me. And I think I see where you're coming from, but I disagree. But there's other times where I wouldn't have thought about it. They give me feedback and think, oh, actually, you're right. And then you take it on board. You ultimately can disregard it, but don't do that in the conversation. Do it afterwards, because if you shut someone down early on, you're going to just make the feedback you get worse or you might not even end up getting any at all. Yeah. And I think definitely don't ask for it in writing. It always seems harsher on the screen. Um, So I think I've learned my lesson that way because there's been some circumstances where I'm like, what do they mean by that? So I find that having it and it's just, you know, the human interaction, even if it's over a Zoom or whatever, it's just it's, it's easier to give a give feedback in that way um but I mean in the same in the same category I mean you can also use the opportunity to then ask advice from people more senior to you okay what did you do to progress what did you find that worked for you what did you do to sort of work out where you want to be going and 
just just leveraging from others experiences and mistakes sometimes because they might even share with you that you know they messed up by doing a particular thing that wasn't quite right for them um and that can help guide you in terms of the decisions that you make for next steps and I think that also when you when you reach out to people in that way they're you know people love talking about themselves right so if you if you (laughs) if you offer a coffee and say can we you know talk about what you've done in the past they're more than willing to um and sometimes you can get things that come out of it such as you know rotations or secondments if that's something that's available and that way you can take control of your career and even if it's a three month stint doing something completely different that you have an interest in you can then find out whether that's for you or if it's definitely not for you and I think that that's also really valuable is working out what you definitely don't want to do um and and for me that was working out I did not want to be a partner so I didn't spend any of my time or energy from that point to progressing towards you know that sort of path so I think there's there's also merit in in trying things and and turn around and going actually I really did not like that so I think probably one of the hardest things when you're taking control of your career is figuring out where it is you want to go but it's almost like the most important um I'm gonna I'm gonna butter this analogy now but I read it in a book somewhere it's something like if if your ladder is resting against the wrong wall and you start climbing up it, you're just not going to get to where you want to go. So you need to get your ladder against the right wall first. So as you say, going through and like trying a few different things and figuring out what you do like and what you don't like. So then you know, you'll never know 100% where you want to end up, but you'll have a better idea, right? The more experience and stuff you get, then you can start walking up that ladder that's at least close to where you want to end up, right? Um, And then usually a lot of skills we learn as tax professionals are very transferable. So, you know, if you were, I don't know, say, wanting to become a senior manager, a a big four, then you're going to learn a lot of good people skills. Probably then you're going to be technical. You're going to be able to write things well. You're going to be able to speak to stakeholders. So then if you end up then wanting to move in-house later to become a head of tax, all those skills are going to be completely transferable to your in-house role, right? If you wanted to become a lecturer or something, then you're going to have been in lots of client meetings where you've spoken to people and you've probably taught junior staff. So even if there would have been maybe something different that you would have focused on if you knew you wanted to be a lecturer at some point, everything's helping, right? Yeah, definitely. That's the thing. And I think you shouldn't ever look at an experience as a bad one or a waste of time because not it, you, that's what you wanted to do at that point. And it's like you said, it's teaching you something about where you do want to end, where you do want to end up. And maybe you don't know you want to be a lecturer until you just become a lecturer one day and you'll, you know, that role and that opportunity is there. Um, but yeah, I completely agree with everything you said. Yeah, I know, like probably, well, before I started the podcast, if you'd have asked me what I wanted to do, it would have hands down been become a partner at some point, you know, no question about it. But in the last like year or so, it's definitely less clear now. But because I've already worked, I suppose I'm, I was working my way towards partner slowly, slowly, all the stuff I've learned now to get senior manager and what I've learned as being a senior manager as well. I know it's going to transfer now into whatever I want to do. So if I wanted to start doing so more of my own things and like helping training people, the stuff I'm learning is still really useful for that. So just just having that focus at some point on being partner, even though it's now changed, it's helped me learn a lot of stuff a lot quicker than I would have done if I didn't even have any focus at all, I would say. Yeah, amazing. No, that's really good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had similar, have you felt similar about it as well? Because it sounds like when you left your first firm and moved to PwC, you just wanted to work for a big foot at that point. So you probably didn't even think about in-house really much maybe then. I thought about it in the sense of I I thought it would be interesting and I thought I would do it at some point. But I also knew that from my research and from speaking to people, it probably wasn't the right time in terms of getting the role that I would want. So that's why I, and like you were saying earlier, Jack, you know, it's a game. And as much as 
people might not like to hear that, particularly maybe people that have been doing it for a long time you know your career is a bit of a game and you do need to sort of you know like a game of chess forward plan a little bit how you're going to make your moves and and so you know working for a big four it has its pros and cons and you could definitely do a separate episode on that altogether perhaps but you know one big pro about the big four is that you the experience that you get with all of these different clients and the projects and the work and the people I just knew that that was something that I had to do for my career and I wanted to do it as well. I really wanted to experience, you know, the big four. And so, you know, it was definitely, as I said at the beginning, you know, a combination of I wanted to do more interesting advisory work, not to say that the compliance work isn't interesting, but, you know, I had done it for four years at that point and I was ready for something different. Um, so for me, it was it was a combination of, you know, wanting to try it out, wanting to have that particular type of work and and just wanting to experience working for a big four probably about six months ago I got to a point where I was making myself not not miserable at work but I was enjoying it a lot less than what I used to and it's because I I was solely focusing on what I needed to do for that next promotion and it started becoming I started doing a lot of the things I didn't like because you know that's what I needed to do to get the promotion I stopped doing the stuff that I enjoy and work just became not fun at all and I was like I need to stop this because it's making life miserable and I might become director, but I'm not going to enjoy it. So what's the point? So I changed it and I was like, I still want to get there, but I'm going to make the time scale a bit longer and I'm going to focus on getting there whilst doing the stuff that I enjoy doing. Because I think if you're enjoying it, you're much more motivated to get there as well, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. And that's from you taking stock and saying, actually, I'm not happy at the moment. What is it? Is it tax? No, it's not tax. What is it my job? No, it's not my job. It's the fact that I'm trying to, you know, opt for getting this promotion, I don't know, a year before perhaps I'd originally planned. And it's not working for me in terms of my mental health or, you know, anything like that. And I think that's when you then have to sit down and go, right, how much does this mean to me in terms of getting it in this time frame? And like you say, now you're hopefully you know six months on you're you're happier in terms of for your own personal career trajectory what you're doing yeah absolutely it's amazing actually how quick it can change when you just start doing more of the stuff you like so I actually sat down and I listed all the things I really enjoy doing the things that I think are okay and the things I really don't want to do and I was just like I want to spend roughly 50% of my time doing stuff that I enjoy and try and basically pass everything off that I don't obviously it never works quite (laughs) like that still some of it there but Within probably a month, I was back to really enjoying work again, like literally right. just a month. Yeah. yeah, I'm a massive advocate for lists because, you know, you, you you think things in your head, but until you write it down or you see it visually, it just does something different for me in terms of it clicking. So I completely, I mean, that's definitely the way forward is just writing a list somewhere, whether it's on a notes on your phone, if you're, you know, on the train, you've got a bit of time. I really advocate for just writing it down and not judging yourself whatever comes out, just being completely honest. And it does help more than probably people would anticipate and it worked for you so there you it go did, yeah and I'll be I've literally looked at it every day now for like that list every day for three months at the start of the day I do it because then if I'm like tempted to go and do something that is going to get me close to that promotion I just think but should I do that you know I know <laughs> what I like doing I know what I don't like doing am I just going to make myself miserable it always reminds me then to just think a bigger picture rather than just in that moment all the exactly, time exactly so, yeah. yeah amazing just a reminder to benchmark your salary, find out what you're worth, or discuss available tax roles, get in touch with James at the Tax Recruitment Company. His contact details are in the show notes, or you can book a call with him by heading on over to thetaxprofessionalspodcast.com forward slash salary chat. 
If you head on over to the taxprofessionalspodcast.com forward slash masterclasses, you'll be able to see all details around the tax research masterclass and the tax advice masterclass, including how to enroll. You obviously became tax manager pretty quickly, or pretty early into your career. Was it about five and a half years? Uh, yeah, I think so. So you'd have been like, what, 23 and a half, 24 when you were Yeah, I was 20, I was 24, 24 and a half, actually, I think. But okay. um, yeah, I mean, definitely, I do remember that because a lot of people were, you know, impressed, obviously, people would be shocked to hear my age before. Um, but, you know, I it became one of those things that I just didn't mention until someone, you know, quite explicitly asked me. But think that as I was saying earlier it's never been like a hindrance at all you know they promoted me regardless of my age which you know they should do it should be about your capabilities and what you what you can do and you know in terms of years of experience I had three more than most people that were at that sort of stage who were 27 28 going for manager let's say so in my mind there was kind of no difference other than one had a degree one didn't um but yeah so I mean in terms of you know what contributed to achieving that in the time space that it did I think it's fair to say to to be honest that I had a healthy amount of audacity um in terms of being very vocal about what I wanted and um speaking to my manager and saying right this is my plan I I'm not shy to say that I want to get promoted as soon as possible where it you know where it makes sense obviously um and so you know obviously being humble but being your own cheerleader biggest cheerleader is definitely something that you have to do because no one else is gonna support you as much as you'll support yourself so I was I kind of took it upon myself a year before I knew I would be even considered for promotion I sat down with various you know senior managers directors and partners that I was working with and I said you can you tell me what it is you want to be seeing this time next year for you all to give the okay and the approval for a promotion. Um, and so I think that, again, it was just really taking stock and saying, right, this is what I want. How do I get there? And they know the answer. I was new to it before. I didn't know the answer. There's a whole process that, you know, different companies have a whole different process, different time of year to get promoted, et cetera. Um, but I, it was more that I just kind of asked them, what is it that you need to see from me? And, and then sort of work backwards from there. Okay, how do I achieve that? Um, and obviously that's spread across loads of different things where it be technical, you know, expertise and delivering on projects, doing, you know, outside extracurricular stuff, whatever that might look like. But it just gave me, I'm very much a visual to-do list person so I could write it down and go, right, how am I getting on with all of these things? And then also it's good as evidence. So when you come to promotion round, you, you've got it all written down. And when they say, why do you think you should be promoted? You can go, well, X, Y, Z, here we go. And I just think that's so much easier because, you know, when you try and think back to everything you've done in the past year, we all draw a blank, even though we've done absolutely insane amounts of work. Yeah. Actually, on that point, I think what I always do is we have quarterly reviews at our place. And that's when I like really think about what I've just done in that past three months, because I think it's really hard to look over a year and go, how much have I learned in a full 12 months? That's a pretty huge period of time. And you're probably going to figure out how bad you were at something compared to what you are now. You just take it for granted. So every quarterly review, I make sure I list down pretty much everything I feel like I've got better at, everything that I've done that's gone well, everything that's done that's not gone so well. So then I can keep reflecting back to it. So then by the time I've got the annual appraisal, I've got, I suppose, all the evidence there as well. But I really like the point actually about literally just asking what it is that you need to do. Because then like you could, I suppose, if someone turned around to be difficult, you could say, well, you told me as long as I did this, you'd be ready to give me the okay and I've done it. Here's the evidence for it, right? At that point, you've taken control of it again because 
it's very difficult for them to say no at that point. And if they do, they're having to go back on their word, right? Exactly. At the same time. Exactly that, Jack. And I think that, you know, I, I, I don't know if you've experienced it personally, but early on in my career, I, I, I got sort of passed up and it was because they said, oh, you know, you didn't do this, this and this. And they would always find sort of not an excuse, but a reason that you kind of couldn't really object to. So I said, right, okay, from now on, I'm going to make sure that I, I know clearly what it is that they're looking for to get promoted to the next stage. And, um, it, you know, it works. It, it definitely does work. And I think that they might, you know, not to say that it will work 100% of the time, there might be other reasons, you know, budge- budgets and headcount or, you know, things that are, you know, without your, within your control, whatever. But like you say, if they give you, give you their word and they give you what it is that they think that you should be doing and you can support that you've done that, it makes it very hard for them to not follow up on what they say. And it also gives you something very easy to focus on as well, doesn't it? Because you knew exactly what you needed to do then. Exactly. And that and that's it. I mean, not, not everyone is the same, but for me personally, if it's not sort of written down, it can kind of get all jumbled in my, my brain. And I generally know, okay, I need to be performing well and doing X, Y, Z. But what does that actually mean in particular? Because, you know, everyone could be really good at their job, but not everyone can get promoted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting that you did that anyway, because... I didn't know that before we chat and I did the exact same thing actually to get to senior manager as well. Literally like what, what, what is it that I need to do to get there? I did it. I did it before I wanted to do as well, actually. And I thought they're probably still not going to give me the promotion until like, you know, that time comes when I want it, but actually they just gave it to me once I'd like done the things that they told me I need to do, which is essentially, I suppose, demonstrate to them that I had the skills and capabilities to be a senior manager, what it is that they're looking for. But the thing is, if you don't even ask that question, like what, what, what does someone who's a senior manager need to be able to do? What skills they need to have? Then you don't know. You don't know how to get there, do you? You just got to ask. Exactly, and it's it's not an embarrassing thing to ask. I mean, I know it's uncomfortable, and I you know I certainly felt that way as I've got older. I've become more comfortable with it. But if anything, people are just happy that you're you're taking it seriously at the end of the day. You're saying, yeah. look, I don't want to be promoted because I kicked up a fuss, and you know been doing it for so long that you felt you had to. oh yeah exactly you can't just go in there and like have the expectation that you just deserve something right like it's ne- it's never it's never gonna work it's never gonna work and actually i i found i don't know if you've had the same but i found that senior people generally speaking really value proactivity they because do. i think they find that people who are proactive will just naturally take stuff off them and not make their lives more difficult it'll make it easier as a manager a, a few people I know if they're making my lives easier that I value that straight away and that's proactivity doing something without having to be asked to do it if you're working on a project don't literally just think of the black and white that single singular task in front of you proactivity generally I would say is good for progression and oh definitely you'll you'll get promoted before, you know leaps and bounds before you know before other people and you because you're damaged like you say proactivity is is definitely up there um and I think that sometimes it's hard to know, especially when you're early on in your your training, it's hard to know how to be proactive. But it doesn't mean that you need to have all of the answers. It could be that, you know, let's just say you're, you're really early on and you say, OK, look, I'm not really sure how to draft this particular letter, but I've, you know, put in the key points and the summary of the issue. Um, can we discuss? And I'm happy to then draft the rest. The fact that you've taken it upon yourself to do that without having been asked even though you don't know the answer and you haven't got it sort of all written out straight away, that's still really impressive. And I would be, you know, as a manager, really happy that they've sort of done that. So, yeah. There can be really small things. I remember actually a partner, um, literally they were in a meeting with some other people and my meeting with them was due to start, let's say three o'clock. 
and they were still in the meeting and I literally went and knocked the door and just said like, oh, are you guys done because we've got a meeting at like three? And like the, the, she, she gave me a massive smile and was like, yeah, we'll be there in a few minutes. And, I, and as, as I was shutting the door, I, I remember hearing her say, I just love how proactive he is. Like that's such a small, it was such a small thing, literally checking in because there's a meeting. It's not a big, it's not big. And then obviously you can do these bigger things as well, but just even small stuff with proactivity goes a long way. Definitely. Yeah. And that's it. It doesn't have to be the big things. It can be the small things too, that you like just make their life a little bit easier that day for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I suppose in summary then anyway, on that point, really it is find out exactly what it is that people expect and want of you to get to somewhere and then do it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which isn't when you put it like that, it doesn't sound particularly complicated. <laughs> no, but I do appreciate, you know, we're sitting here preaching to the choir. I know in practice it it's it's hard to do, but you know, you've just got to just practice with it, keep keep doing it, and eventually it'll become second nature. Well yeah. And on that flip side then, let's have a chat about some of those difficulties and challenges that you can face when you want to do all these things like taking control of your career, getting yeah. promotions, progression, etc. Like what do you think are some of the biggest things that people get stuck with? I mean, I think we've, I've already said it, but I think the biggest thing what, you know, is being comfortable doing these uncomfortable things. Right. So it, it, if you're asking for training or or trying to articulate what it is that you want, we're all a bit conditioned to just accept, you know, in this corporate, as a corporate worker, we just crack on, do what we do. And hopefully we get the pat on the back that, you know, we're hoping for and deserve. And if we're lucky enough, we'll get promoted and given the work that we want to do. Um, but actually it's a, it's about the realizing that you do need to just go that extra step further and take in that control. So I think, I think a challenge is definitely pushing yourself outside your comfort zone um, but there's a, there's a really good analogy that I always sort of think about when I think about comfort and comfort zone. And you'll know that you're progressing and, you know, um, stretching yourself and doing what you want to do because you'll feel uncomfortable. It's like when you start a new job, the first, you know, three to six months, you feel like you have no idea what you're doing. You're a bit lost. You think everyone's thinking, who the hell is this person who's joined? They have absolutely no clue. Um, and that it's a little bit of an uncomfortable feeling. And then you, you know, you get to a year in and you look back and you think, wow, like, look at me, I can do this now. But what you've done is you've taken that comfort zone that's a certain size and you've you've expanded that out. And if you keep stepping outside your comfort zone, eventually that that zone will be massive and there won't be a lot that will scare you. Um and suddenly once you've done it once, twice, three times, it's almost become something that you're just you you can you can do without feeling too uncomfortable. So I think that the biggest thing when it comes to taking charge is just admitting to yourself that you are going to have some uncomfortable conversations, some uncomfortable, like not even discussions with yourself, but just sort of thought processes with yourself in terms of taking the time and energy to think, what is it that I want? And, you know, I'm definitely the sort of person, if I don't have an immediate answer, I can get frustrated and think, oh, I'll, I'll deal with it another day. But um, you really need to just be, you know, tough of yourself and say no let's really sit down and work this out. Um, and I think there's also an element of just n the, the timing of things. There might be, you know, perfect role for you and it's not the right time. You know, it's talking about personal life. It, perhaps it's not the best time for you to move or you're second guessing yourself in terms of, so I had a lot of second guessing on myself when I did move roles a couple of times. Am I pigeonholing myself? If I go into retail, is that me done? You know, that's the only industry that I can work in 
Um, and I think that there's an element of of trying to sort of find some comfort in the fact that you're not committing to doing one thing for the rest of your life if you don't particularly like it. So I think there's a difficulty of, I think for me, my main difficulties are just having conversations with yourself about how you feel about things and taking a risk because moving jobs or trying something new is a big risk because it might not be what you hope it to be. Yeah, yeah, no agreed. The thing about pigeonholing, by the way, I felt, I had probably the same thought process as what you did. Like, am I becoming too specialist, too young? Because I already work in employment taxes, which is specialist. I, I already think jobs in that area are more restricted than, say, corporation tax because Agreed, you see yeah. far less employment tax in house roles, for example, than you do corporation tax roles. And on top of that, I was doing like 95% work in the recruitment sector and like some very specific projects. Looking back, I understand why I felt like that. Well, of course I did. I went, I went through it. But looking back, I learned a lot of skills there that I wouldn't have learned as quickly if I was more of a generalist younger on because I got in front of clients earlier. I was running client meetings earlier. I was writing advice earlier that was like close to the final version a lot sooner than what I would have done if I wasn't pigeonholed. And now I know that I know the other employment tax knowledge. And if I wanted to work in a broad area, I could very easily because I've got it there and I've got the skills that I probably wouldn't have got as quickly otherwise. So I... I do understand the worry about pigeonholing, but actually I think you end up learning a lot of skills that are very valuable anyway. Because tax knowledge, I would say, as you get more senior, is the easy thing to learn. The more difficult thing to learn is the soft skills that are around the edges. Completely agree. You've taken the words right out of my mouth. That's what I was going to say. You know, it sounds, you, you worry about the pigeonholing thing, but actually what you do is you learn how to research tax. And, and how to, if you can do it with that particular issue, what who's to say you can't do it in other areas of employment tax? So yeah, I completely agree. I think it's... um. It's definitely a normal feeling, like you said, you know, looking back, you get why you felt that way. Um, and for, you know, hearing it, I'm like, wow, that's very specific in terms of what you were doing, but it hasn't hindered you at all. If anything, you like you said, you've just done things earlier, which, you know, when you when you take anything that you do in your day-to-day job, you can, they are transferable skills in, in all scenarios. You can not spin it because it makes it sound like it's not what it's meant to be, but you can, you know, rephrase what you do and really sort of pull out, okay, what is it that I'm actually doing day to day? Fine, I'm a tax advisor, but who's to say that I can't take that skill and apply it to something else? So I think that just taking that risk, doing it, realizing that you're not pigeonholed, there's a lot to learn um, and there's ways that you can sort of leverage into your new role. It's fine. And, you know, it, it, and I've, I've seen, I've done it for myself now. I was in retail fashion very much, you know, heavily focused, very VAT heavy businesses. And now I work for an investment bank, you know, two completely different worlds. And, you know, when I went to interview there, it didn't restrict me. If anything, they were like, okay, so you, what you've demonstrated is that you're not a VAT specialist or a customs expert, but what you can show from that skill is that you picked up new uh, information, you've applied it to the business, and that means you can do it again here if you do this role. So actually, you it's just about thinking, right, how can I reframe this in a way that is going to click in their mind that they're like, yeah, this person is capable, even if they've never done this particular area before. I think, didn't you say right at the start of the conversation that, like, the hardest thing about this new job that you've got is picking up the financial services tax stuff. Well, that's the thing that you needed to do, right? Because all the other stuff you already knew to do is literally just the new learning the new knowledge. But it sounds like you're getting on fine with that. Now you're a few months in. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that um, that's very kind of you. I would say that it's uh, the, the learning curve is probably the steepest out of my entire career, interestingly enough. 
um, very closely followed by uh, the CTO. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely something that is is challenging me. And I think that, you know, it, it is, it, it's one of those things, I think, I don't know if everyone else felt this way, but when I was doing CTA, I would avoid derivatives and loan relationships. It would be one of those things that would make me recoil. But, um, you know, I've leaned into that because I've always wanted to be better at it. And I've always wanted to do that. So, and, and you know, learn more about it. So I thought, you know what, actually, you've got to put yourself in that uncomfortable situation and apply yourself and see how it goes who knows maybe in a year's time I will say it's not for me I hated it I don't know why I did that but for now I'm enjoying it and it's you know really what I wanted to do yeah it sounds like actually you're a big fan of the being uncomfortable part of it because you do learn a lot in that zone where you're uncomfortable don't you yeah it's funny because you know it doesn't feel good and you're like why am I doing this to myself but like I was saying earlier, I think you learn then what you do and don't want to do because you you start you start working out whether it's an uncomfortable of oh my god I just hate this or of a it's uncomfortable for now but I know I'll get there once you know I give it some time and I I learn all of this new stuff. Yeah, yeah. Should we have a few like quick fires on some scenarios that I've often heard people almost like complain about in a way? like and just quick tips like advice around that so you know I've heard a lot of people say like oh, I'm not getting the type of work that I want from my current employer and their their usual reaction is oh, I just need to leave but you know what what do you think they can do what would you do in that scenario I would first of all I think leaving isn't always as much as it sounds like I'd, I've gone from here there to everywhere leaving is not always the answer I think that if you like the company and the people that you work with you really should try and you know attend to that first the grass isn't always greener but I think first things first is ask to maybe shadow some colleagues or partners or whoever it might be in meetings and calls. You don't need to say anything or, or do anything, but to just kind of work on perhaps clients that you might find more interesting or work that you might find more interesting. And I did, I distinctly remember I did that at PwC because I wanted to work on this particular client. And I offered to do the less glamorous job of taking notes, which, you know, that's as a tax advisor, you're like, I did not sign up for this, but one you're sort of proving yourself a bit more useful being there and two because you're sort of writing it all down you're then learning about this client and and what it is that they need help with and then over time you can sort of say oh I don't mind picking up you know this particular action point let's say from the call or meeting and then you sort of immerse yourself a bit more into that sort of work or client base that you want to be doing and that way you kind of it's quite a subtle way of doing it but I think that um you're there you're there in the forefront then of those people in terms of who can I ask to help with this yeah I would say it's basically making yourself helpful right because you went there took the notes that's helpful thing number one helpful thing number two you're taking actions off them so you're not you're not just sitting there and like oh this is all about me I want to learn I'm not going to help you you're giving something back right at the same time yeah exactly yeah Uh, other one I hear quite a lot is oh I want to get more advisory advisory work what do you think people should do um, if they're in a situation where they want more I mean, I kind of failed on this point with when in terms of staying with my my first job because I was saying that and it didn't happen. But um, what I did try and do, and it might work for people, was for the clients that I was looking after from a compliance perspective, just say to the partner manager, whoever is on the account, hey, look, you know, for the next piece of advisory work that comes in, can I be a part of that, um, you know, in whatever that might look like, whether it's just, you know, assisting on a little bit of it or sort of taking the lead it can be you know any vast range of how you sort of get involved but I think that if you sort of look at what you're doing at the moment is there any way to sort of leverage into getting to that advisory work because 
you, you know, you've got the the basis of I know the client already, I know what they do, and I know the compliance stuff and how that might then like link in together with the advisory piece that I want to be doing. Um, so I would I would advise that, but like I said, I can't say that um, I'm speaking from experience because that didn't actually work out too well for me. Um, but that's not to say that I don't think that it's a good bit of advice because it might be just you know there was a situation it weren't there wasn't the work available for me at that time yeah yeah which can happen you know uh or you just got someone uh, let's say a senior manager that's likes to do it all themselves in yes which and case that is a very some, good yeah, point <laughs> yeah which, which i have seen which some I have people seen. can't let go i completely agree with you there or yeah. don't even want to because some people are like happy to sit a senior manager role tends to be that role i think where a lot of people sit and are happy to sit there and if they know they like to do certain things, they will make sure that they do those certain things, sometimes at the expense of you. And you just got to you got to accept that, I suppose, in, in, in a way. I say one other thing about getting more advisory work is if you can if you can make yourself useful on an advisory project by becoming good at something, whether it's taking notes, whether it's um, doing the research or whether it's you know actually writing the actual advice itself. If And you can de- then demonstrate that to someone who works in advisory projects, they will see that you're not going to be a hindrance to them on those projects. And I think that's the big thing, particularly when working with junior people on advisory projects, you can feel like actually you're going to lose time by involving them. So if you can flip that and show them that that's not going to be the case, then they're going to be much more likely to, to involve you. So just one last uh, point then. So we have touched upon it a fair amount throughout anyway, I think, but like, how should people go about getting the support that they need? Because we've talked about it being their responsibility, right? They're the ones that need to do it. But sometimes they might be finding it difficult to get that support. Maybe their manager's too busy and they're not giving them the time. Maybe they've put some training training courses forward and they're being rejected and they won't be paid for, et cetera. So, you know, what what can people do in those challenging times? Yeah, I think it's, for me, is is two ways I'd go about it. So first is trying to find a mentor. And normally I would say, find someone who you don't work with day to day who's sort of kind of out of it. It doesn't mean that they don't need to work in tax. But for me, I had someone at PwC who I would speak to regularly, like once a month, maybe. Um, I didn't work with them, but they were in the, within the same team. But it meant that they had context, but also they were far enough removed from the situation that they could give some useful advice. Um, and I find that that's quite handy because you can kind of just speak how you're feeling and you'll learn a lot about what you're feeling just saying it to someone else obviously if said manager that you're trying to get some you know feedback from or some movement from and it's just not going anywhere if you speak to someone that's sort of outside of that it might be useful and they can give you some recommendations um but you know I have a long-term mentor from my very first role I've not worked with her in years but we always have check-ins and I just find that really useful um even though I'm more established in my career now you're never at a point where you're not still thinking okay I need advice about this situation um so I think that someone who you can just speak to quite frankly is quite useful um because there I mean unfortunately there are situations where you you can't do any more than ask and you're you're being told no and you're doing all of these things that we've said and you're just not getting anywhere at which point do you move maybe that's the the answer to that question and then the other thing is we we touched on it earlier recruiters so whilst (laughs) recruiters are a funny subject because obviously their their job is to place people in roles but I think if you can find a recruiter that has your best interests at heart it's really invaluable because I you know I personally have two recruiters that I check in with maybe once a year you know not even even if I'm not actively looking to move 
just to kind of give me an update on the market and you know where things are going and for me to just talk about my role and again you you start really understanding what you do and don't like about it and how long do you see yourself in that role etc and if you can find a recruiter who who kind of wants to be your recruiter for life and help place you in new roles once it's the right time I find that that is actually really invaluable because you know they're not again working directly in tax but they know enough because they are a tax recruiter um and yeah so I mean they there was one recruiter that I actually rang up about a job that she weren't even involved in the process and she gave me her very frank you know view on which role she thought was better for me based on all of the conversations that we'd had so I think that just trying to find and I think again it comes down to just experience you kind of get a feeling if a recruiter is just trying to pass you off in this the first role that they they come across um and they're not all bad <laughs> yeah I think I would say actually the probably the big summary of recruiters is, is if you feel like they're not listening so my other half was um thinking about moving probably about six months or so ago now and there was the one recruiter that called her up and said oh it's in so and so you'd have to go into the office four days a week would that be okay and she was like oh no I want to work at home basically every day bar one at most and they're like oh but it's not that long though is it's travel there you you could do it if you wanted to and at that point like as soon as you can tell that they're not listening that's that's it really and if it sounds like they are listening then that's usually a good sign obviously definitely Definitely. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Again, very quickly, they will show their cards and you'll quickly realise, have they got my best interests at heart? Or, or their own. <laughs> or their own, yeah. And the thing is that you'd think that actually they want to place the right people in the right roles because if they leave because it's not, you know, what they thought it would be, they lose out too. They do, um, yeah. And the company will lose confidence in them in terms of using them again, etc. But yeah, I think that that's quite, quite hard to do. But if you can, that's definitely something that I found really useful because... Again, it's just another sounding board for someone else to speak to. Show notes for this episode can be accessed at thetaxprofessionalspodcast.com forward slash TTPP76. All links, all links mentioned in the episode are within the show notes, including links to my masterclasses with people who work in tax. The next tax research masterclass, which is designed to help you to develop the practical skills to undertake quality research at work and document your findings, is in September of this year. And the first tax advice masterclass designed to teach you how to provide a high quality tax advice that clients can use to make informed decisions easily and develop the trusted advice relationship with them is in July. If you enjoyed this episode, head on over to thetaxprofessionalspodcast.com forward slash subscribe to sign up for email notifications to make sure you don't miss out on any future episodes. Episodes are bi-weekly and are released on Mondays. But that's it for this episode. I hope you have taken away some useful points to help you to progress, develop and improve your tax career. Until next time.